You're listening to Making a Living Show. I'm Roby Levy. Hi, I'm Glenda Hart, and I make birch syrup for a living. Glenda Hart is the co-owner of the Canadian Birch Company with her husband, Rory. During a drive in the country, a fortuitous turn landed them in a sea of white birch that left them breathless. They knew they'd found their new home, but little did they know they'd also found their calling. Since tapping their first tree, they've gone on to win prestigious awards and the hearts of syrup lovers around the country. Here's my chat with Glenda Hart. Who are you and what do you make for a living? I'm Glenda Hart, and I make birch syrup and a lot of other things that use birch syrup as an ingredient. So how'd you get started making birch syrup and birch syrup-related things? <laughs> well, it, it could be a long story, but I'll try to make it short. <laughs> it's digital. We've got nothing but time. <laughs> we'll fill the internet. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, a long time ago, we actually bought a piece of property that had a lot of birch trees on it because... Both of us love birch trees, and we love the country, and I grew up sort of in that general area. And, um, you know, there's nothing like being away from home to make you miss home. So when we were in BC, thinking about coming back to Manitoba, we kind of started looking on the internet for, hey, what could we do with that property we've got in uh, Manitoba? And we put in birch, and up comes birch syrup. And we're thinking birch syrup. So we follow that lead and we look into it a bit. And then we just left it, moved back to Manitoba. Uh, But it was something that was always in the back of both of our minds. And we just kept on revisiting it until 2010. And then we actually thought we would try making some. You know, they do backyard maple syrup. Well, we were doing backyard birch syrup. But that was a bit of a adventure <laughs> because birch sap's not as um as sugary as maple so it takes so much more sap so uh you know you're boiling and boiling and boiling and boiling and nothing's happening <laughs> and then you know you start getting down and uh it's still boiling and you still really don't have much so i think the first first batch my husband went off to uh take down a, a basketball net and he comes back like 15 minutes later, and it's burnt, like a burnt pan. There's nothing left. <laughs> so after that, we, we tried again and were, and didn't leave the pot. And we did make some birch syrup, but I don't know, probably cost us $200 in, <laughs> in propane <laughs> to make like this much. <laughs> like a couple of inches deep in a the pot. A couple of inches. Oh, well, man. I think it may it may have been 150 mLs <laughs> all told. <laughs> so at that point in time, we said, well, you know, this is not a hobby. You're either going to do it or you're not going to do it. So we left it again. We didn't do anything. And then... Uh, we went walking in the in in the forest, got lost, ended up on the neighbor's property and looked around and saw huge birch trees, like way bigger than any we had on ours. And as we found our way out, there's a for sale sign. <laughs> and uh, so we started thinking more seriously at that time and ended up in uh, 2012. That was our first uh, our first season. So let me backtrack here for a second. Had you ever done any syrup making in your life, either of you before? No. Then what in the world would make you want to (laughs) go and try it, number one, fail miserably, 
and then buy an entire <laughs> other property just because there's a lot of trees there and then make a business of it. Like, how did you get to that stage? The dream that wouldn't die. And, um, <laughs> and my husband did a huge amount of research. Like he was on the internet. He was all over the place and had done a lot of research, uh, found some um, papers written in uh, Finland and from universities there. Uh, so he did a lot of, of research. So uh, when he he was ready to do it, he was ready to do it. Well, so why birch, though? I mean, well, we there have are... no maple. <laughs> right. But what about the Manitoba maples that are growing out of the out of my backyard like weeds? Those yeah, don't give syrup? Don't, we don't have any. We don't have any. And yes, they do give syrup, but we don't have any in our area. Lucky me. So we have birch trees. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's called, that's actually the box elder tree, I believe. And you can make some lovely syrup with that. And if we had any, we'd do it. But we don't. So we don't. <laughs> so you knew you were definitely going to be making birch syrup. I mean, there was no question. Absolutely. Okay. And your husband does a bunch of research. And there's everything there is to know about making birch syrup. And rather than telling him that he's nuts, you're like, yeah, now let's get into this. I know because I'm nuts too. Oh, okay. So that works out well. <laughs> <laughs> We're a pair. <laughs> there's a lot of work that goes into this. I mean, this is not a thing you take lightly. You got to buy the land. You have to have the trees. And then you have to get into the entire mechanics. Like what goes into making syrup from a birch tree? Uh, well, it's very much like maple in that uh, you have to go out and you have to tap the trees and then uh, you've got to get that sap back to the processing area. And birch syrup, you have to take another step. You have to actually uh, use a reverse osmosis. If you're going to make good syrup, mm -hmm. you need to use reverse osmosis, take out a whole bunch of water first before you put the concentrate that's left behind in the evaporator to actually make the syrup. Okay. This is way more chemistry than I was expecting. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it, it is chemistry, actually. There's there's quite an art to making the syrup so that it tastes really good. And, and were you guys just fumbling around, really testing and trying, doing research and whatnot, but did you have anybody who was helping you figure this out along the way who had come from a syruping background? Yeah, we did. We had... Uh, uh, we were in touch with some people in Quebec. Uh, we were also in touch with our local forester who actually made maple syrup from uh, the trees in this area. So we had we had help from the maple industry, but birch is different than maple, so not everything applies. What are the key differences? Well, the sugars are different. That's what makes a huge... It's not just that there's less sugar in the sap to begin with. The sugars are different, so they act differently. So not everything applies. So that you kind of, it, the research came in handy because we knew all these things before we did it. Right. You could fill in the blanks where it was different then. Yeah. From, from, yeah. from maples. And then the people in Quebec, they sent a fellow from Vermont, actually, to help us through our first uh, cook. Uh, and he had been up in Alaska helping uh, the birch syrup people up there when they first got their machine. So he kind of had a little bit of experience. And this whole thing isn't, uh, I've got to ask, it's not a front for making meth, right? This is your first cook and you've got all this apparatus no. and all this chemistry. No. Sounds like you're breaking no. back. <laughs> no, no, not, uh, your husband's Walter not White. that Come at on. all. <laughs> <laughs> 
So flashing forward then to you've got the land, you've got the trees, you've got the apparatus and right. at least some sort of uh, uh, an idea of how to actually net out some syrup. How did you turn it into a business? At what point did you say, I'm going to go and package enough of this and sell it? Well, uh, before we uh, got the all the equipment, we knew we had to package it and sell it because the equipment is expensive. So when you're making that kind of a jump, it's like this has to be a business or there's no point in doing it at all. So we had made that determination before we actually started. Right, because there's so much investment up front. There is. And, and yeah. so this is an industrial, like how much, how much space is needed to process this stuff? I mean, are we talking about large machinery? Yeah, the evaporator itself is probably, it's probably about somewhere around 18 feet, 16 feet maybe long, about three feet wide. And then you have your tanks and your RO and your, all the other things you have to have. In terms of space, is this in your house? Well, it was a garage uh, that we re we re-engineered a garage that was 24 by, I guess 24 by 16 or something like that. So at that point, you're you're living and breathing and eating syrup. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so there, there are worse things to do. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm curious about the time it takes and the effort that it takes to get from the tree through the machinery and through the filtering and the reverse osmosis assisting. Is that a thing? No. Yeah, so, reverse osmosis. Re- yeah. Reverse osmosis. And then getting it to a point where it's it, it, it's edible. How long is that process taking? Uh, well, it's an ongoing process because uh, we have a vacuum system that pulls the uh, sap in from the trees. It goes into a tank. From one tank, it goes into another tank through reverse osmosis into another tank. And then from there, it'll go into... Uh, the evaporator. And the only thing I can say is I can tell you the time it takes from when it gets into the evaporator to when it's syrup. So generally the first syrup happens between three and three and a half hours after the sap goes into, or the concentrate goes into the uh, evaporator. If you don't uh, put it through reverse osmosis first, it's 11 to 11 and a half hours before you get the first syrup, if you do it right from the sap. Right. And that's just because there's so much more liquid Water in to get rid of. Yeah. yeah. All right. So now I've got some syrup. It's either 11 or three hours yeah. later, depending. <laughs> <laughs> Generally three to three and a half hours later. But then but then we're going, it's a continuous process, right? So generally our our cooking day is going to be at least 12 hours. So lots of times if we start at four in the afternoon, we'll be going till between four and seven in the morning. And this isn't something you, you turn on and it just operates on its own. You, you have to constantly no. monitor and, and, and yeah. feed it. And, and Absolutely. And, and watch it, make sure that the fire is the right amount of uh, heat and all kinds of things. Yeah. Is it actually fire or is it elements? No, it's, it's fire. We use, uh, what do you call, pellets. What it's a pellet pellets? stove. Oh, I don't pellet even know what a pellet stove. stove is. Oh, well, they take sawdust <laughs> and they press they and they press it into little pellets, and that's what you burn instead of wood. It, you you must be near Aurelia or places like that. Yeah, up, uh, they're I up think, north from here. Yeah, 
yeah, there's, there's, uh, or there used to be a big store there that sold all kinds of pellet stoves. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah I'd never heard of that yeah. before. Oh, <laughs> learn, learn something new every day. How often in a week is a, is a cook day? Is it constantly going or is it like every Thursday's cook day, every Friday is packaging day or. It, it changes as the, during the season, because at first you get a lot of sap. So you're cooking more. And then the sap slows down, you cook less. But generally, you know, it might be as much as every second day or as little as every third day. You don't want to keep any sap past that. And how many people are involved in this operation? I mean, is this just you and your husband or is this... No. <laughs> how, many, how many folks do you have? Well, generally, it's nice to have six or seven. Last year, because of COVID, we had three of us full-time and then other family members helping us out from time to time. So we were kind of on a really skeleton crew last year and we'll probably be on a skeleton crew this year too. Yeah, certainly seems that way, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so what's, what part of the year then do you start? Is it in fall? No, no, this is a springtime thing. Um, generally we start mid-March, but again, because we're a skeleton crew and there's lots of work to do before you even take this, before the trees even run, before the tapping starts, there's weeks of work uh, fixing lines and taking down dead trees and taking trees off the line that fell. And animals like to chew the lines. <laughs> so there's lots and lots of work to do before you even get to that point. So we'll we'll start beginning of, of March. And the cook just goes all the way through until effectively it's tapped out? How long does it take? Well, the tapping will happen in April. So you're looking at six weeks of work before that. So generally the season is anywhere from, well, it's around 17, 18 days. Uh, last year we had a full three weeks. Uh, one year we only had 10 days. It's all weather dependent. Because it's later in the season, you have to deal with more uh, heat problems. Like May can get really, really warm. So if you have uh, one or two days in the 20s, or one year, uh, we looked at the temperature, it was 30 degrees, and that was it. You're done because it causes it causes changes in the tree and the sap is no longer good for making syrup with. So the syrup often ends before the sap stops. You're really at the mercy of all the weather. Absolutely. And that must make it incredibly difficult to determine what your yield will be for that year. Totally. So how does that affect your business then? I mean, are you talking about shifts well, of hundreds of bottles of syrup or? <laughs> well, here, here's what happens. Uh, if you have uh, a good year, you just make syrup until you can't make syrup anymore. And if you don't sell it all, you don't stress about it. You just say, oh, great. We have some to get us through the next time that <laughs> it's a really bad season. <laughs> well, because syrup doesn't go bad, does it? It I doesn't. Mean, no. Something would have to go terribly wrong, right? We have syrup that is 10 years old from our very first. We actually have the first syrup we ever made. You know that 150 ml? We still have it. <laughs> and it still tastes good. <laughs> does, does syrup actually age? Like, does it, does it mature like wine and get better over time? I think it does. I think it gets more mellow, seriously. But generally, you know, people aren't keeping it that long. They're using it. <laughs> right. Or if you're like my kid, you just take it by the spoon. She just yeah, spoons you can do that in. too. Yeah. 
<laughs> put a plate of waffles down and she just scoops in syrup into her mouth. Now that's another thing. Birch syrup is not like that. It's a culinary syrup. It's got a very, very intense flavor. So you don't actually use a lot. We have a breakfast syrup, but it is not pure birch syrup because there's just too much flavor for that. So what are people using your syrup for then? Or are they just using really small amounts? The darker stuff is being used for meats and to make sauces. Uh, That's what I do with it. Um, Some of our products are using the birch syrup for that purpose. So it's a flavor thing. It's more of a flavor thing than a sweet thing. And then, of course, our birch for breakfast, it is sweet because we add sugar. We add other things so that it's just less less flavor because you don't want that much flavor. You want to use a lot. So we make it so that you can use a lot. Do you actually dilute it in order to do that for, for the breakfast? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we do. You have to because there's just too much flavor for pouring it on something like a pancake. However, you can drizzle that pure birch syrup on something like a cheesecake or on ice cream and all that intense flavor because you've put a little bit on a lot of something. It's amazing. It's amazing flavor. And if you like cocktails. Who doesn't like a cocktail? Yeah, the gold syrup is fabulous in cocktails, for sure. What sort of cocktails do you, would you add it to? Well, you can use it with any liquor. You know, we often use it with bourbon, bourbon and lemon juice and gold birch syrup. But there's all kinds of other things that people can do with it as well. It just enhances flavor, gives it a little sweetness, gives that depth of flavor that, that you don't always get. Like we have a toffee sauce, for example. There's no toffee sauce like it. Like generally, you have a toffee sauce and it's like, yeah, it's nice and sweet. It tastes good. But our toffee sauce, it has layers of flavor. It's it's not just one taste. So there's all of this amazing dimension and depth to the flavor. And that's what birch syrup does to any kind of cooking. So whether you use it as meat or sauces, whether it's sweet or a savory sauce, Anything like that, it just adds incredible depth. Tell me why making your own syrup is so important to you. For that matter, why making your own anything (laughs) is important to you. Because you're very passionate about making syrup. Most people are just passionate about eating syrup. (laughs) I'm passionate about that too. (laughs) (laughs) There's something about having made something from nothing that is just incredibly satisfying. Not that birch sap is nothing, (laughs) but it's just just taking something from a forest or from the ground, from something, and making an amazing product from it, whether it's a syrup or whether, you know, you're uh, taking a canvas and painting something or whether you're, you know, making a gourmet meal from a bunch of stuff from your garden. (laughs) It's uh, it's just that satisfaction. Yeah, it's very rewarding to conjure something from the ether. Yes, exactly. And especially when it's something that others can enjoy as well. I mean, I think that's one of those things that, that really sort of brings makers and creators and artists and entertainers. It, it fuels them. The sharing. Yeah. They have something they want to get across. They want to give to the audience or to the recipient or to the, yeah. uh, to the buyer and to the, to, to the end user. And they really want yeah. them to enjoy it as much as they do. Right. Right. So there's, there's this thing about it's a, it's a giving, not a keeping. 
I have to ask about the trees. Do the trees have feelings? Does it hurt the trees? <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what it's compared to is if you give blood, you only give a little bit. When you take sap from the tree, you're only taking a tiny bit of the sap that runs through that tree. Um, you're not taking anywhere near all of it. The tree doesn't miss it. So they're fine. You know, you're, yeah. Yeah. I don't so have to worry about the too. crying trees. You you don't have to worry about the tree at all. <laughs> and you know what? We we take care with the trees. Uh, we make sure that, you know, we uh, sterilize the, the drill bits and everything be, from going one from one tree to the other. Uh, so we don't spread any disease and that kind of thing. So, you know, we take good care of them. How do you market your stuff? And how do you bring it to market for that matter? Well, because birch syrup is not well known. Uh, even now, there's nothing that's better than just meeting people where they've come and giving them a taste and telling them about it and talking to them. There's an education component to it. Uh, there's an exploration component where people want to taste the flavor because they've never had anything like it. Uh, so that is the best way. Now, of course, COVID kind of put a cramp in that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it will continue to for this year, I'm sure. So, uh, you know, we've come up with other ways to try to get people to know the flavor, even if they haven't tasted it yet, or at least give them an idea like wines, for example, we'll say, you know, it's got this flavor in that flavor. They do it with coffee too. Right. Uh, so we do that with the birch syrup as well. These are the flavors you can expect to taste on your tongue when you, when you try our syrup, the amber syrup tastes different than the gold and the dark tastes different than the amber. And, you know, they all have their their little extra flavors. And then there's also what you can pair it with, right? You can pair this one with an apple. You can pair this one with goes better with meat. This one goes better with ice cream, <laughs> you know, those kinds of things. Well, and how are you actually reaching these folks? I mean, you've got a, a, a very robust website but to reach people right. are you on on social media a lot yes are, absolutely is there a big birch syrup community that's out there uh, well I, I wish there was but we're working on it <laughs> well what are you doing to, to to get the word out uh well we have instagram and uh facebook that's a a new thing because how we got our names out there before we just go to these craft shows all over canada right so we are going to people and now we have to get people to come to us. So the social media for us is just, we're just starting. Right. What are you finding challenging about it? And what are you finding is working for you? Um, it takes a lot of time. That's that's a big challenging thing. You know, you want to talk about creativity. Uh, my, my sister does our Instagram and Facebook. And she is creative in ways I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, our Facebook and Instagram presence has really grown since she has gotten in there. She knows, you know, how to use the hashtags and with the website, the SEOs and all of that kind of stuff. All of those kinds of things that are not my forte. You need other people. You can't do it all on your own. You never can do it all on your own. Yeah, it's important to have people with complementary skills in order to make That's any right. of these endeavors actually work. And if you can't right. find somebody, then you have to hire somebody. That's right. And worst case scenario, 
you wind up with it on your plate and you're terrible at it. And that's just unfortunate. <laughs> and sometimes that happens until you can well, find it, somebody. It often happens when people start out because that's because you have no choice. Yeah, absolutely. What sort of advice might you give to somebody who's looking to get into the syrup game? Um, the answer do can your be homework. don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't say don't. I never tell anybody don't because uh, that might be your passion. But you definitely have to uh, do your homework, uh, talk to as many people as possible, get information. When we started out, there was very little information. You had to dig deep to find it. And, you know, if it's possible, talk to someone who already does it. That's a big deal, too. You know, there wasn't really that many people to draw from 10 years ago. There's a little bit more now. Is there actually a syrup... I don't know what to call it, a community. I don't mean of, of fans, but of makers. Like, are there people who are sharing best practices? Are they sharing, you know, issues and, and kind of coming together to try and figure them out? It's very loose. Uh, we, uh, we've we met people like the people from Alaska. We we do keep in touch a bit and share back and forth, but not usually. It's It's so small and people are spread out all over the place. It's not... It's not like Ontario where there's a whole bunch of maple producers in one spot and, you know, they all know each other and they, you know, it's, it's very different because here it's very spread out and you know how life is. <laughs> Things get busy. <laughs> Things get busy. <laughs> it's re- it's hard enough to keep in touch with people around you, let alone, you know, people far away. I'm curious if you advertise. I mean, you said you go around from city to city, from from market to market. That's generally how you've gotten the word out. Social is what you're using now. It is. And web. But what about advertising, PR, you know, any kind of online events or anything like that in lieu of COVID? You know what? We're just starting out of this kind of thing. In the past, we've done some advertising, etc. It it doesn't really go anywhere. (laughs) I I find that uh, probably best is um, is the uh, Facebook ads and the Instagram and that kind of thing really is good for our kind of business. But we have lots to learn about that, and that will be a focus going forward. Right, especially as things are more online and less in person for the foreseeable future. Yeah, yeah. What's the ultimate goal? that you and your husband are trying to achieve? What are, you, what are you trying to do with the business and what are you hoping to get out of it in the long run? You know what? It is a lifestyle. It's a healthy, sustainable, be where you want to be kind of lifestyle. I think that that's a big part of it. A uh, second part of it is, in a sense, we're part of making a new industry. And uh, when we first got into it, I think a lot of people were trying to make their syrup to be more like maple, whereas we just accepted that it's something different. And um, it's it's nice to be part of the start of something because I, I don't think it's going to go away. It does have its own niche, is very different than anything else. I'm sure we're not the only ones who, who have been part of a small uh, beginning and it's kind of exciting to be there. Well, where can people find out more about you? On our website, canadianbirchcompany.com. 
or on our uh, social media, our Instagram or Facebook. They're both at Canadian Birch Syrup. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing how you make a living. Well, thank you for having me. It's been fun. Subscribe to Making a Living Show on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts. For more on the show, visit makingalivingshow.com and follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Making a Living Show is produced by Next Exit Media and hosted by me, Roby Levy. Thanks for listening.